um, thank you for joining me today. Uh, welcome everyone listening at home. My name's Liz Knoll and I'm the Executive Director here at the Institute of Modern Art. I'm also co-curator of Ioani Scherz's 15-year uh, survey exhibition, Missile Park, uh, which was presented at the Australian Centre of Contemporary Art in Melbourne earlier in the year and at the IMA currently um, from July until the 18th of September 2021. Before I go any further, I'd like to acknowledge that um, I'm coming to you from the land of the Yuggera and Turrbal people and uh, acknowledge uh, Elders past, present and emerging um, and extend welcome to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people all over the country that might be listening in um, to this podcast. Always was, always will be. And um, I'm joined today with Ioani Scarce, who I just mentioned, who is the exceptional artist, um, who's the subject of Missile Park, this exhibition currently on at the Institute of Modern Art. So Ioani, thank you for joining us. Nice to be here. I think, yeah, <laughs> I would say virtually it was an audio, audio, anyway. I don't know, I know. I've actually never done a podcast before like this. It feels really weird introducing yeah. it. And because for people listening at home, we're actually looking at each other. <laughs> so <laughs> it doesn't quite feel like it's the radio, but. Um... Yeah, yeah. And yeah. you're currently, where are you at the moment, Ioani? Uh, currently in lockdown in Melbourne, um, and um, yeah, uh, but um, you know, uh, yeah, it's okay, I think. But um, yeah, I'd like to acknowledge that I'm on the lands of the Wurundjeri people at the moment, and um, like to pay my respects to their elders, past and present, and also um, I'd like to. Acknowledge my elders from the Bukatara and Nukunu people, particularly the women in my family um, and my grandparents, Barwell and Fanny Coleman, mm. who Barwell's in um, the exhibition, actually. So, mm. yeah. Yeah, it's wonderful having him in the galleries, looking over the exhibition, keeping yeah, a watchful eye. Smiling around. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so we're really lucky. I mean, it's such a, a, a gift, I think, to have this exhibition on here at the Institute of Modern Art. And, um, you know, your work hasn't been seen in Brisbane for a really long time. And I know Max Delaney, my co, you know, our co-curator, along with Lisa Welp, um, and I, you know, Max is also the director of ACCA, were really excited by the opportunity to come together and present an exhibition of your work because... I think from all of our perspectives, you are, as I said, such an exceptional artist and have, I guess, innovated the, um, the medium of glass in a way that I've ne I have never seen before from any artist, not just in Australia, um, but overseas as well. And, um, and so it's been a real joy to work on this project and a bit of background, I guess, for everyone playing along at home is that Yoani and I both um, are from, well, no, we're not from, but lived in Adelaide for many, many years and have known each other now for probably, 
how long do you think? 12, 15 years? Yeah, around about that, I think. Maybe, um, yeah, somewhere in between, somewhere along those lines, mm. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Because we both, we both met when you were working at Tantania. Yeah. And, and, in Adelaide, yeah. Yeah, and so I, and as I tell people, I, you know, I first saw your work your really early work that's actually in the show what they wanted which is um in missile park i saw that work yet yeah, you know 14 15 years ago whenever whenever it was a long time ago and um i've followed your work with great interest since then and this is a project i personally want to do for a long time so um thank you for um thank you uh for and to Akka and to everyone that's worked on the project, Lisa, for making this happen for me personally, you make it about me, but it's a bit of a dream come true to work with you on this scale. So, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Cause we talked about it for a long time. Hey, yeah. Like we, when you were working, when you were director at Ace Open in Adelaide. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, you know, like people often ask me how long I've been working on it for, but I think you I think two years is sort of not the, the, is not that time frame I think it's longer because mm. I think um, we don't often incorporate the dis- earlier discussions which was like even maybe two years beforehand mm. before yeah oh yeah I mean it kind of yeah baffles me as well that you know you you are so prolific and I'm totally off topic here of what I wanted to start talking about and we'll get there but you you've been so <laughs> prolific over a really long period of time now. And um, it kind of shocks me that, I mean, maybe not, but I, I don't know. It seems very timely that you have this exhibition mm. now and the, and the monograph. Um, mm. And I think it's been, you know, I hope you agree a real joy working with you, but Lisa and Max as well, um, and all the writers mm. and contributors and lenders. Yeah. It's been a really, um, it's been a really joyous, um, an important project, I think, um, and one yeah, we should yeah, all be very definitely. proud of. And I think, um, and it's been quite, you know, uh, quite a personal journey, I think, for all four of us. Yeah. Like I think, like it's, um, I think when you work on a cert, it's just, a survey exhibition has been different for me, I think, mm. because you, not that you, I haven't worked closely with other curators, but I think with something that is, um, you know, going right back to the beginning, like what you say with my earlier work, um, what they wanted from my art school days mm. to now, I think, and then um, talking about where I come from because it's sort of I don't always let people know too much about my personal mm. history, I think, but I think um, it was, I think I felt at this point in time it was important to share some of those stories either even more publicly I think particularly in uh during a discussion at ACA mm. talking about how or sharing how um you know growing up in Alice Springs uh for for 10 years um you know being told by your teacher that or not directly to you but you know, you hear about it through parent-teacher nights and, you know, that I'm a, you know, like I was not going to be um, 
I was not going to go very far in life. Wow. So, yeah, they thought I was trouble, but because I was shy, so it was kind of... Um, so And so now it's kind of like, well... Uh, Suck on that. But it's, I think that's where, you know, like, yeah, I think that's probably why I make the work that I do because it was Alice Springs is a very um, racist town. I grew up witnessing a lot of racism. Mm. So it was kind of, um, no, it wasn't kind of, but I think it was a really important learning experience for me to witness how horrible human beings can be to each other. Wow. Particularly to Aboriginal people. So, yeah, and, and a lot of assumptions made about Aboriginal people. So, yeah. um, so you, grew, you were born in Woomera in South Australia, and we'll, we'll get to Woomera, I think, because it's such a big part of your work. So, when, when did you move to Alice Springs? How old were you? I was 10. We right. moved around quite a lot um, growing up. Uh, like, um, yeah, lived in was, you know, born and lived in um, Woomera for a few years, but then moved back to Adelaide. I think we left Adelaide for Hobart when I was eight and then lived, lived there for a couple of years and then um, moved to Alice Springs via Adelaide <laughs> in 1983 and then it's probably the longest period of time as a, as a child, I guess, that we lived in one place and... And then I moved back to Adelaide when I was 19. All roads lead to Adelaide for you and I. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and so you, I remember you saying you were working in the university sector, right, before you went to art school? Yeah, I used to, yeah, I used to work for the University of Adelaide off and on. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was, I think... Uh, one of my first jobs at the University of Adelaide was in the uh, research department uh, in one in the old in the building next door to the Art Gallery of South Australia, actually. Mm. And um, and then I actually did a traineeship at Tandanya when I was like twenty three, I think. Um, and then um, had to look for other work, so I ended up back at the University of Adelaide. Um, uh, at, um, yeah, the Indigenous Support Unit there and then uh, left, uh, yeah, left that job to go to art school. Mm. Well, Tandanya, I think, is, you know, a really important part of your career and who you are today. And, you know, in in, in some ways, mine as well. Um, mm. You know, Tandanya is, you know, the National Aboriginal Cultural Institute and must be about... 30 years old now um probably older um in adelaide on ghana country and um was a really important um place for mob and cultural expression artistic expression from all over the country um and i worked there as a non-aboriginal woman as a interim curator there or visual arts coordinator as I said probably about 12 13 years ago long time ago now um and is Tandanya I guess 
you know, there's always exhibitions on there, perform cultural performances, workshops. Um, as I said, it really kind of encompasses and certainly did then the full breadth of, you know, artistic expression. Was doing the traineeship there, is that what first sparked your interest in art? Or had you always been interested in art making as a child? Mm. Yeah, I liked... Yeah, I liked art in high school, I guess, and I used to, I wouldn't call myself a drawer now these days, but I used to scribble a lot um, mm. uh, uh, when I was, yeah, a younger, younger child. Um, and, uh, yeah, but it's, yeah, it was like probably in my high school days that I was really thinking about art, maybe. But I think also um, it, I remember when I finished high school, some of the students that I um, knew were going on to uh, like art schools in Victoria and, um, and remember hearing stories of, you know, like... Um, well, you can't, you know, you're never going to make any money doing that or, you know, but um, so it's sort of, I, I, I guess it, I pushed it back in my head, I think. Mm. I can, yeah. So it was always there. But then um, I remember, yeah, when I worked at the, my last job at the University of Adelaide was like, I have to do something for myself, really. Um, or I felt like I wanted to do something that, um, no matter what it was, I think I felt like um, I couldn't be in that job for another th three years. Mm. Um, and I found out about, oh, I found, yeah, I found out that the University of South Australia's School of Art offered glass blowing as a subject. So I was, I was already sort of curious about glass blowing. Because you don't really hear much about it. No, so I didn't know yeah. that. So you really went in there immediately to do glass blowing. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah. I mean, how do you I even think... get curious in that? I don't even understand, like, like how a young woman from, you know, well, Alice Springs, Adelaide. Like, I don't know. I grew up in Adelaide as well. Like, I didn't know about glass blowing. Like, I know that's a weird thing to say, but it's such a niche kind of interest you know yeah like I, I'm yeah. like how do you even I don't know it's not like they had that Netflix <laughs> what's that glass blowing show blown away <laughs> blown away you know like <laughs> there were a whole generation of glass blowers now who've been watching blown away but like yeah. yeah how did you even I don't know like I didn't realize that I thought you just went to art school like because you were generally interested in art and you somehow discovered art well glass blowing through the course but it sounds like you really had a very clear idea that you wanted to get into glass blowing. Yeah, I was finding like I was looking at paperweights quite a lot, and then I found this vase in an op shop in Finden. Um, <laughs> do you remember like the old salvos there on? No, in Finden. No, they used to. They've moved it now to Grange Road, but they used to this amazing um, salvo store. Um, near the Commonwealth Bank on Finden Road. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And then there used to be this other little op shop around the corner and that's where I found this purple and clear vase and I knew that it wasn't um, machine-made, so it was handmade. 
and I was really curious. This is an odd thing. It's an odd, you know, it's an odd shape, really. Mm. And I was curious about how they made it, whoever made it. And so I started looking at um, glass blowing. And I think back then, you know, like it was like early, like early 2000. Because um, I went, I, I think I yeah, started art school in 2001. So leading up to that would have been like 12 months leading up to applying for art school that I've been searching for videos. And I think YouTube wasn't really, I can't even remember how I no. found it. I feel like we didn't even have the internet. Like if we're talking early 2000s, like, I mean, no, we did have the internet, but like I didn't have like a personal computer then, you know. Yeah. So it was kind of like I found videos somehow. I don't know. Like you could see. You must, it must have been YouTube. Yeah. It might have been YouTube, early stages of YouTube, maybe. Mm. So, so I just, yeah, I thought, yeah, I was so excited when I found out um, it was being offered in Adelaide. So I decided six months before I quit my job that I was going to art school. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Did you buy that vase at the Salvos in Sydney? I did, yeah. Do you still have it? Yeah, I still have. Oh my it. gosh! Oh my gosh! You have to send me a photo of it. That is like, yeah. I've never heard that story before. That is actually really yeah. amazing. Yeah, I think that's really yeah. cool, and it it reminds me of like when you're young and you you that that idea of like education and university and that world of possibility, and you just mm. I think of you obviously had a really curious mind. Um, like, I just think that's such a, yeah, that's a really cool yeah. story. Um, so what, you went to art school, you did glass, like you decided, yep, yeah, I want to do glass blowing. Yeah. Um, I'm kind of interested in, in hearing about your time at art school from two perspectives. I don't know. I think it's, it's, maybe it's strange to ask you a lot about art school, but for context, the reason why I am is because you talk about it a lot. Like, I feel yeah. like art school was really seminal for you and important. And I think, you know, more than other artists that I've met, I feel like art yeah. school was important for you. Not always for good reasons, you know, I think. Mm. But I just feel like art school was really important for you, perhaps because, I don't know if it's because you found a community there or... You just, that's really where you became who you were meant to be maybe or something. Mm. But I've just, you you speak a lot about your time at art school. Um, Mm. Mm. And yeah, I'm kind of curious how you found it in terms of like opening up your world to the kind of art community and art sector and contemporary art. Um, Yeah, yeah, how was that for you? Was that important? Yeah, I think maybe, um, maybe, uh, yeah, maybe it had to do with the fact that I, I guess I, I started, I went to art school at 28. Mm. Um, and mm. just to be specific, I've got my <laughs> 20s. Um, <laughs> um, and remembering, like, yeah, like I, yeah, I was so happy. Like, mm. it was so. Like, I felt like, yeah, and I often say this, it changed my life mm. forever. Really, mm. it did. Like, it's kind of, um, and the people that I met at art school, I'm still friends with. Mm. 
and um and you know that's a long time that's 20 years mm. really mm. and and um some of them um i might have but um yeah yeah i think um when you're older as well and you come something a bit older in life even though 28 still young but for a lot of people going to university they often just go straight from school you know it's like you really want it and so i guess maybe it opened up you know for a lot of people that go to university just like a whole new world and way of being in the world um yeah yeah and i think and i like what you say like what you said earlier is i found you know people who i felt like i could connect with connect with Mm. we're all sort of there for similar interests some came out of right out of uh, uh, out of high school which you know my friend beth who i've yeah who you know I, i've known since she was 18 wow <laughs> um and and you know watched her you know sort of move on to other things but still maintain a glass blowing experience and stuff and mm. but um but i think too i think um, you know, I was introduced to a lot of artists, you know, international artists mm. like Christian Boltanski in like maybe my honours year actually. And I think, yeah, to find that similarity in your in your ideas or how to create artworks about specific trauma, mm. I think, or um, people's trauma was really interesting for me, I think. Because I went to art school without um, any expectations, actually. I just wanted mm. to go to art school and I wanted to learn how to blow glass. I had no idea where it would take me after I finished. Mm. And, mm. Um, and apparently um, that's rare, I think, mm. to, for, for people to, I've been told it's rare to think about it in that way that, you go some go to art school to become artists mm. they want to be an artist which is what i wanted to do but i i never expected that it would take me overseas mm. exhibit overseas exhibit mm. nationally to have a survey show all mm. of that was never in my that was not your expectation, expectation. Yeah. Yeah. yeah well that's a really good point that you make though about how you learned about artists making work about trauma and what that was kind of going to be my next question about your time at university was you you started you went there to blow glasses we, we've established but when did you realize I guess the political potential and the emotional potential um, of glass like where, where did you go because so many people that you know blow glass become you know sort of stay in that crafts design sort of realm and I think that's really what distinguishes you like you are not a craft artist you're not a design artist you're a contemporary artist because while you're using a material that's traditionally and conventionally associated with like um the craft craft I guess is what you would say um you have completely elevated it um through the kind of conceptual framework that you bring to the medium and I guess like um I think about works like the day they went away which is the earliest work in the show that's 2004 I believe and you made that while you were at art school and 
you know, it's a, a small suitcase, um, very small old vintage suitcase filled with glass, bush bananas kind of talking about um, domestic servitude, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people being removed um, mm. and I guess life under assimilation in Australia and colonisation. So that's like, you made that work while you're in art school. So mm. at what, how did you arrive at that place where you saw the, the political, emotional and conceptual capacity of glass? Mm. I think um, it probably wouldn't really, yeah, have happened, I think, for me earlier in my degree. But it, I think, I, yeah, it would have, I think I started making that type of, like, work in my third year and my honours year I think and um because I, I went on to do honours because I felt like I hadn't finished yeah right um my re like, I guess my research then well I, I was um, yeah so I think that you know with honours like you have to stipulate what you're going to really delve into and I think I'd already started touching on it a bit and and I started thinking about found objects and by then I was already making the bush bananas, particularly just the bush bananas. Um, and the yams came later, but I was sort of thinking about other works, like there's another work that of mine that I made in honours that uh, wasn't included in the survey show, it was called Oppression Repression Family Portrait. And it has... Um, I found jars and photographs of mm. my immediate family, beginning with my grandfather at 17. And I've made not just bush uh, bush bananas and yams, but there's a bush plum, there's um, bush potato, some reeds and quandongs and stuff from my country. So I think for me, I was thinking if I was going to make objects, how was I going to represent... Um, myself and my family and my people. So and I felt like, well, mm. you know, it's the food that we eat. And um, so that was the earlier thoughts about it, yeah. So, yeah, I was going to ask you that, how you arrived at the bush food, you know, which is such a, a tenant, like it's such a thread through all your work is working with bush food. Um we, was it a particular trip out on country or, like, just came to you through research or obviously something happened where you just thought this is, you know, these these objects are what I want to use primarily to represent, mm -hmm. like you said, my family, mm -hmm. myself, you know. Yeah, I think I was thinking back to my time growing up in Alice Springs and mum was working, my mother was working for the Institute for Aboriginal Development and part of her role was working with um, the women from um, the Walpree language group and literature, I think, too, um, to like sort of incorporate more um, Indigenous knowledges into primary schools to prevent racism. So... So they used to do these bush trips out a lot and um, knowing, you know, I learned a lot about bush food back then, I think, you know, and um, 
and also through my other family down south in Sejuna. So um, my auntie Sue, mum's cousin, is very much, um, um, you know, because you know, a custodian for our Bogota country, mm. and um, you know, makes bush medicine and you know, uh, yeah, looks after the land. So it's it's something that. Um, it's sort of, I guess, technically always been around, but yeah, yeah. But I, yeah, I remember those bush bananas. Mm. To think, yeah, you know, like they're not the tastiest things, eh? <laughs> <laughs> no, they look great. <laughs> Maybe yeah, they're best in class. Yeah, no, they're very pretty. Like they're very, you know, luscious green. Like very velvety green, but. You know, I think we're so used to sugar and yeah, sugar yeah. and stuff. Yeah, yeah. It's a bit of a oh. perhaps a bit of a misleading um, name for them. Bush I know, bananas. yeah, because you'd think, you'd think they'd be all juicy and stuff, but they're not. <laughs> but, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I guess, like, the other thing that you kind of touched on then just earlier when you were speaking about the kind of potency of glass was, you know, representing your family and that early work, oppression, repression. And another, I guess really prevalent or kind of ongoing interest in your work or aspect of your work is the kind of incorporation of found objects and particularly photog- like found photographs from your family archive. Um, in our show at the in Missile Park, we have two works. Um, we have, uh, sorry, there was just a beeping in the noise that keeps distracting me. We have um, Dinah, um, yep. Granny Dinah, um, your great, great, great grandmother. Yep. And we have a photo of your grandfather, Barwell. A mm. lot of people that have been coming to the show have been asking um, where you're getting, I'm kind of asking this on behalf of actually a group of <clears> students <throat> that came through, where you're getting those photos from. Um I think Barwell, it looks yeah. like the photo looks like it's from your family collection. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So mum has um, mum's done a, quite a lot of um, research herself with, you know, c- collecting family photos. And so that photo of grandpa, um, I think I can't remember where she got it from. Like, because she, she's... I'd call her a fossica. She's kind of like, yeah. Mm. She's a really good researcher. Is that and a polite um, word for hoarder? <laughs> no. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I can read between the lines. Uh, yeah. <laughs> she, um, she's similar to me, hoarder of clothes. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah. So um, she, her memory is long as well. So she knows, she knew who had what photo and... So, yeah, I'll have to ask her because I I, re- I can't remember at the moment, but I, I do remember, I do know where it, where that photo came from. But anyway, like it's, um, like it's, it. From a family, yeah, family collection. From a family collection. So, um, yeah. And what and if, so it's. Oh, sorry, you keep going. No, sorry. Um, I was going to, if we we're leading on to Granny Diana. Yeah. Yeah. That's more, that photograph is an um, ethnographic photograph. Yeah. Um, and 
it was shared with me from my cousin Dylan Colin, right. who's he's an amazing writer and filmmaker. Um, so she was doing quite a lot of family history research, as we all do, and looking in the archives for for photographs. And um, she told me about these photos that she found at the Lutheran Christian Archives mm. in Adelaide. Um, and so she's, been, she's got some funding. And I don't know, for, for people that are not aware of these archives, um, uh, or how they operate actually they take all these photos and they've got all these photos there and but if you want a digital copy of your family member they make you pay for it and um, so Dylan had to pay all this money to have all these digital copies of our family so she shares it with all of us that's outrageous so um, so yeah, so it's um, it's actually when you think about it, like they they their excuse these these places they use the excuse of well it's for us caretaking your photo care mm. caretaking of your your photos and it's kind of like well well it's really not your you know it's not your job to do is just give it back to the family mm. then you don't have to care for it anymore you know like it's mm. yeah so it kind of you can tell that it's, it irritates me a lot but it's um. But in saying that, it's kind of like, yeah, we, you know, I feel very fortunate to have the, you know, Dylan doing that, and we have a photo of Granny Dinah, mm. and despite the conditions that that photo photograph was taken in, mm. like we have we have her. Um, so it was really important that I, um, I think I honour the my family when I talk about them people need to know what they look like mm. so um and i think that's very powerful in those words diner mm. granny diner mm. looking over us all it's and mm. as someone that's known you for a long time it feels really amazing to see your family mm. yeah Especially yeah when... yeah always say i think i've said it maybe I say it all the time anyway when i talk about those photographs and the other work that i made with called remember royalty with a lot like my mm. grandmother and my great grandfather um and my great grandmother and her family as well that you know we're we're very good looking so <laughs> yeah know, absolutely Papa willie's so handsome mm. so was my grandfather like far well yeah. So, yeah yeah good genes so good, good beautiful looking family Family. Yeah, so it's, it, I, you know, I feel very um, proud to show them off. Mm. Like it's, mm. yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's really, I mean, I think what you said earlier at the start of this podcast, this talk about how you've shared a lot on this, through this journey, through this exhibition. And like, I think we, like we, we said you know, at the start, it's been a really amazing experience for all of us as curators and the artists in different ways. You know, as, as I said, for me, it was like kind of a bit of a, an achievement unlocked for you. It's been a really important journey for sharing more about your family. And, and, and for me, as someone that's known you for a long time, I've learned so much about 
your life and your family and I I just want to take this moment in the middle of the talk to thank you for that because you've been very very generous and open and taking Max and Lisa and myself out on country on a road trip all across South Australia um, and that's been you know yeah a real privilege and yeah I'm very grateful for that so thank you um, no worries yeah I want to um pivot a bit um a buzzword of the pandemic got to pivot but I want to talk about architecture um yeah. you're always putting up cool photos on Instagram of um <laughs> brutalist examples of brutalist architecture and um yeah your work has you know started off fairly small scale as it as it often does when you're you know an emerging artist or you're at art school and 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 over time you've really scaled up i mean you know in absence of the huge what it wasn't nine meter tall commission yeah. for the ngv um being the kind of i guess literally biggest example of your work and then the commission for Acker and IMA for Missile Park called Missile Park being an example of how you've um, translated, I guess, architecture and architectural structures into a gallery space. I think what's really compelling and uh, strong with your work is that it works, is that it's, it's emotive and powerful at all scales which is really great because you know I think a lot of the time you know artists can just make something really big to give it more power whereas I think your work is just as as I said emotive at a really intimate scale um mm. it works both ways you know mm. um but I want to like how did you get into architecture like what, what where did this interest come from um and what are you interested in it what what interests you in it from like the perspective of your, of your art practice? Yeah, I think um, I guess I, yeah, it's a good question actually because I think it has a lot to do with my working relationship with Mikhail Roderick, mm. and um, he's a he's an architect. I met him when he was studying. Uh, I guess, yeah, his master's at the University of Melbourne. And uh, I met him through my gallery at the time and because I was invited to make the, the first um, Blood on the Waddle, the coffin, mm -hmm. um, for the, uh, a collateral event for the Venice Biennale. And um, the, the gallery manager at the time said, I know this person, this who could probably fabricate, help you fabricate this, this um, coffin. So, I yeah, I've known him for, geez, eight years. Wow. Um, maybe longer. What's it? Twenty thirteen, nearly a decade. When I think about it, um, and so he, when we'd start talking about architecture and he's worked with me on some other like he's uh, mapped the, the uh, atomic clouds under ending poison and death zephyr and cloud chamber so it's kind of like we talk about and other public artworks as well 
so he'd shared with me these these um, these architects and um, particularly uh, he introduced me to the Spomaniks actually in in um, the in the uh, uh, former Yugoslavia. So I think yeah, um, yeah. So it's sort of I thought yeah, and I was I think for me the brutalist architecture I find really interesting. I think and it maybe it has a lot to do with the material of concrete, mm. but also uh, the formations of them. Like I think I for me I see those those buildings as something other than. Uh, housing something mm. or housing people or the office spaces some of them are an amazing like bank in South America and, and I think uh, when I think of the tower in Belgrade they, yes, they're just quite for me they're just quite amazing I think I think about how they've been built mm. how they're still standing but um, and I've also I think uh and I'll say this quite openly, like it's, um, I, I love sci-fi, I love old sci-fi movies, I'm a big fan of Star Wars. I love how you said that like it's a confession. You're like, look, I'm going to, I'll say it openly. <laughs> okay. Because <laughs> I think I'm just a big sci-fi nerd. I think, yeah. Because yeah. Um, I, yeah, I see, I see the, I see something, like, I said to someone recently that, you know, these, uh, yeah, these buildings are, remind me of um, like maybe Transformers or they might come alive eventually or maybe mm. what happens to them after dark. Mm. But, um, but I think going back to the history of the buildings, particularly uh, in the, the former Soviet era, uh, you know, a lot of stuff happened inside those buildings and they mm. still stand, like some of them are still standing, some of them are... Um, uh, you know, not looking so good these days, but mm. I see architecture as um, another form of being creative. Mm. Um, mm. And particularly within absence, I think uh, that that work for me is very much a living piece of architecture. Mm. It has a heartbeat. It has, you know, it's it, it's absorbing conversations. So it ends up mm. becoming a guardian, mm. and we, must, you know, uh, Kim and Aaron and I um, often talked about how um, uh, in absence would operate in the long term. So it's mm. uh, and it'll always be a place for people to feel embraced and um, have an experience of being inside something that. Um, is telling you a story. Mm. Yeah, it's kind of, I don't know, it's when I think about all these like intersections in your work, um, you know, your kind of research interest in nuclear trauma, your interest in memorials, um, which, you know, your interest in architecture and archives, like there is this kind of coalescence or this somehow coming together you know, and I don't think it's as linear as like one area of interest led to another, led to another. It's kind of like mm. these, like even the fact that you're kind of interested in Soviet architecture, you've also like traveled to Chernobyl, you mm. know, with your kind of nuclear 
trauma hat on, I guess. It's a weird thing yeah. to say, but like it, it, it's not really so much like this linear, yeah, this linear progression of interest. Like one leads to this, leads to this. They kind of have all slowly come together over many years through, yeah, just different circumstances, different lines of inquiry, different, mm. you know, meetings, like you said, with Mikhail. And I think that, I, like, in my head, I kind of want to do this mud map, like yes. mapping your work and yeah. how it all... And I think that about the exhibition Missile Park and the way it's been presented as, as a survey, it's not chronologically presented because... Mm. The, there is just so much intersection in your practice mm. um, from works that were made 15 years ago today, you know. While there's mm. so much difference in the work, there there's a commonality, and that commonality is not just glass, you know. Mm. That mm. commonality is around, I think, memory and trauma and um, honouring family um honor i think mm. you know yeah 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 i, I think too like um mm. i remember the first research trip i did in 2008 maybe i, I just moved to melbourne then and i yeah started researching um uh, other stories about genocide, particularly back then. So I, I thought, well, I can't just look within Australia because we're not being told anything really um, besides our own knowledge within um, uh, the Aboriginal community. So at the time, like, the, the, the government wasn't acknowledging, you know, uh, genocide at all, really, mm. or the history of um, frontier conflict. So... So it's kind of, I think, um, my, the way I think, the way I research as an artist, it's not always just the one thing, mm. I think. Mm. Um, Definitely. And so, yeah. And I think also that, uh, like I remember being like maybe, you know, early teens watching ABC News about the, you know, the meltdown at Chernobyl. I was thinking about it the other day, actually. I was like, you know, as a young, young girl in Alice Springs, of all places, watching this disaster happen, not would never have crossed my mind that I'd actually be standing in front of the sarcophagus where it actually wow. happened. So, um, and I think, yeah, it's interesting because of it. That sort of that interest with nuclear trauma started because I knew about growing up with that knowledge of the nuclear test by the British and Australian government in South Australia and then um, knowing about, yeah, Chernobyl and then I think just this whole interest in um, secrecy, mm. I think, as well and wanting to uncover that, mm. those those secrets or those stories because they're there mm. just I think it's um and it's a very Chernobyl is very very similar in in its way of um that situation 
um, where they only say 30 people died mm. and they were meant to be only the first respondents. Mm. And there's hundreds, if not thousands of people that have been affected by that meltdown. So, but again, it's kind of like looking for these ghosts as well. Mm. Like when you, you do a tour of Pripyat, the buildings are still there and they're just shelves. But the landscape take over and the trees take over plants. I went, you know, Lisa Redford and I went in winter. But it's, um, there's something there. I think, I think, uh, always think that landscape has, has a memory as well. Mm-hmm. So I, I like to see if, you know, uh, I can find it. Mm. Um, mm. I think that's um, we're sort of running out of time but I think that's a really nice a really important note to end on and I think that idea of you finding ghosts you know I think you, you you are always I think in your practice uncovering secrets and trying to kind of find those ghosts but it's not to necessarily scare people, but more to remember them mm. and to make yeah. sure that, you know, whether it's victims in Chernobyl through your research or your family or, you know, people at Elliston Creek or mm. Aboriginal people living throughout the Woomera prohibited area. I think mm. your work, what it really does is remembers them and mm. and make sure that there's a place in history for them mm. yeah definitely i think like yeah and that's what i love about being an artist is to be able to make that work mm. um and and what a way to i guess introduce those stories is sort of walk into a gallery and the you know someone might see, you know, um, Granny Diner and never forget her face. Mm. I think um, nothing could be more powerful and, and potent and poetic, and I think that really summarises your work. Um, mm. We might leave it there. I just want yeah. to thank you so much um, again for the exhibition that's Missile Park and your time today and um yeah just the incredible legacy of your practice i think which will go on for many many years as you continue yeah. to grow from strength to strength so thank you it's been so nice having a chat yeah you too I yeah everyone at I home would... enjoys that yeah and um yeah yeah thank you so much Yuani. No worries. Hopefully we'll see each other soon. In Adelaide, maybe. <laughs> Fingers crossed. I'm aiming, I'm aiming for Christmas. Yeah, me too. <laughs> oh, all right. Well, we'll leave it yeah. there, I think. Um, yeah. Thank you. No worries.